It's time for the Plan with Dan podcast, the show that will help you discover and achieve your true purpose for money and make you a more confident investor. We'll talk about sane and intelligent approaches to financial planning. Now, let's Plan with Dan. It's the Plan with Dan podcast. Walter Storholt here alongside Dan Betzel, founder of Betzel Wealth Advisors in the greater Columbus area with an office in Gahanna near the airport. You can find us online at BetzelWealthAdvisors.com. And today we're talking about seven estate planning mistakes you should be aware of and obviously try to avoid. And if you've made any of these mistakes, we'll even explore some solutions on how you can maybe fix or address the problems that have been created. Dan, I know that this is something that you deal with a lot when people come into the office to meet with you and talk to you. Unfortunately, not a lot of attention gets paid to doing estate planning properly, and there's a lot of different ways that you can take missteps. You know, that's so true. But, you know, as you're saying, I mean, I think an integral part of holistic financial planning includes estate planning. I tell everybody that comes to my office and every quarter when we meet, I go over the five basic areas of estate planning, you know, portfolio design, portfolio management, retirement income projections, taxes, and the fifth, which is often neglected, is estate planning. I, I, I don't neglect it in my particular practice because, you know, before I started doing financial planning, I actually worked for close to 15 years as an estate planning attorney. I'm currently not active as an attorney, so I can't give specific legal advice. And I've also not kept up with all of the, you know, the the nuances, you know, in, in the in the estate planning tax law. But nevertheless, you know, the basic principles of proper estate planning are something that I like to make sure that my clients know and I like to get them, you know, to the competent uh, estate planning legal team that can help them. So I the first area that sometimes surprises me, I guess it shouldn't surprise me because I, I know I worked in big law firms and I know how they work, is that some will come in and I will say, well, have you executed your estate plan? Oh, yes, we're all done. But they're not really able to tell me about the plan. They really don't understand it. And you know, some estate planning um, techniques are rather complicated. For example, if you're trying to do some potential Medicaid planning, the Medicaid trust law is very expensive. If you, if you have a company or a family business and you might be using a family limited partnership you know, to do estate planning, that's, those are very complicated uh, you know, uh, estate planning vehicles that often because of the situation and the relationship between the attorney and the clients very transactional it's not as relationship based um, they often don't uh, have anyone to explain it to them so i say you know the, the first mistake is really not understanding your plan you've got to go back you got to take the time maybe pay a little extra money and make sure that your plan that you sign that's now in effect that you understand it because if you don't understand it, I think there's a great danger, this is the danger number one, that you won't fully implement it and you won't be able to keep it up to date because you really won't know what to do. That's That's step number one. Understand the plan so you can keep it fully implemented and fully up to date. Number two is outdated beneficiary designations. If we had an hour for the podcast, I could tell you one basically kind of horrific story after another where someone you know, completed beneficiary designations 25, 30 years ago, and their life has totally changed. And they had no idea that if something were to happen to them, that maybe an ex-spouse was going to get that particular asset, or perhaps it was going to go to someone like a parent who had passed away. And, you know, all of these accounts like retirement accounts, annuities and life insurance, you know, take the time to make sure that you've updated any outdated beneficiary designations. And you have to understand that you may have executed a very sophisticated trust or a will, but the trust or the will does not control 
beneficiary designations. Those pass outside of probate. Those pass outside, you know, of uh, of any trusts. So please be sure that you take the time to update the beneficiaries. Uh, I think of one. It's just a really sad case. So parents had a, a very large retirement account, and they opened it up literally 30 some years ago. And when they opened up the account, they only had two children. And they have, um, after the spouse, they had the two children as uh, the beneficiaries, as the contingent beneficiaries. Well, they had a third child a few years after they opened up the account, and they never updated the beneficiary designation. Mm. So even though their will said, take all of my property and divide it into three equal parts, one for each child, the brokerage firm that was handling the very large, the largest family asset, this large uh, investment account, it only had two beneficiaries, two children. The third child that was born later wasn't on that beneficiary form. What do you think, Walter, happened to that very large family asset? Conflict rose as only two got the yeah. uh, yeah. share of that account and then had to Absolutely. face the really tough decision of do we do we share this with the third? Right. And not only that is this happened uh, several years ago, but what are the gift tax implications going to be? You know, um, so maybe even if you want to say equalize it out equally, there might be tax implications. And sometimes you see families where they really will work hard, you know, to equalize it. Other times people say, no, if mom and dad wanted it to be three, they would have put three. They didn't. But then you're going to have all the family strife, as you said. Yeah. So uh, we yeah, all, so number we all one, know those stories or have yeah. maybe been through it ourselves. Certainly. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny you um, mentioned that, actually. I, as I was doing taxes this year, happened to notice on one of my, uh, just like a, a small 401k, or, or I guess it was an uh-huh. IRA now that was at an old employer that I rolled into just an IRA or something like that. I think, so if I remember correctly from looking at it a few months ago, had my mom as uh, right, the beneficiary. Right. Whenever I was at that employer, I was single, and that's what I was just like, I don't know, give it to my mom, I guess. <laughs> of course. Of course. It makes total sense, right? Yeah. Total, total and, sense. and now but, it still says that, even though I've been married for a couple of years. So it's kind of like, oops, need, I need to get need, that updated. You need, to, you need to change that. You need to change that. And so, I mean, say you don't change it, and long time down the road, you know, your mom has passed, and you still have your mom on there. Well, it's now going to go, it's going to pass to someone who has deceased, so your mom's estate would have to be reopened and then it would start filtering down again. It would just be ridiculous, right? So please update your beneficiary designation. Even in the best case scenario, it's inefficient. Exactly. Very much so inefficient. And kind of related to this, it may seem like it's the same thing, but it's not legally, is that, you know, not updating asset ownership properly. So, you know, you might own some assets in your own name. Some might be jointly titled with a spouse or an adult child. You might have them as limited partnership interests, but just like the beneficiary designations have to be reviewed and updated in order to be efficient. I love that word you used. What about how the assets are actually owned? I mean, so I'll give you a perfect example story. So husband passes away. Mom is having more and more um, difficulty managing her uh, financial affairs. So there's a daughter in town and the daughter in town is going to help mom manage her financial affairs. So great. They go to the bank and what they really wanted, they wanted just the daughter to have say, signing rights on the account to become a signature on the account. But that's not what the bank did. The bank made the one daughter a joint owner, Hmm. joint owner with rights of survivorship. So that meant that immediately when that retitling took place, that the mom and the one daughter owned that account, each owned 100%. So when mom passed away, how much uh, of that account did the daughter 
own in her individual name. She owned all of it. And there was quite a bit of money for this family in that account, you know, over $200,000. And then the other assets that were going to be divided among the rest of the family were about $100,000. So what happened? So the $100,000 in the bank went to the one daughter, and then the other $100,000 was shared between the three daughters. So the one daughter got $133,000, and daughter two got $33,000, and daughter three got $33,000. I doubt if that was the mom's intention, but that was the legal consequence because they didn't take the time to make sure that the assets were, the ownership of these assets were exactly as they wanted. They didn't understand the unintended consequences of that. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. It's, and it's such simple, it's so simple to make a mistake. And the teller at the bank was trying to, I'm sure, to do what they wanted and was actually, you know, um, dipping his or her foot into the estate planning world without really knowing the consequences. So, yeah, so I think that the, the next issue that I see is people will go to see an estate plan attorney and they will execute a revocable trust. And, you know, they'll pay a significant amount of money for that. And the trust is great. You know, so the trust is kind of like your estate planning car. But I'll ask them, well, have you funded the trust? Have you actually transferred assets into the trust? In other words, did you put any fuel in the car? You got the car, but there's no fuel in the car. And they'll look at me like, I'm not sure what you're talking about. So failure to fund revocable trusts is a problem I see, you know, all the time. And, you know, if they skip this step, then the trust really can't help them because the trust has no fuel. So you have to actually look at each asset that you own and you have to say, how do I get this asset in the trust? If it's something like a regular brokerage account, it's simple. You just change the ownership of it. If it's something like a life insurance or an IRA, then you may want to make the trust the beneficiary. If it's a house, then you have to get a new deed. And now these are very complicated legal and tax questions. You have to make sure you're working with an attorney who is competent to advise you on this. But if just because you've executed the trust doesn't mean that it's going to work as intended because you haven't taken the steps to fund it. So when that occurs, I send them back to the attorney and I say, let's get this thing funded. And then the attorney will then uh, issue instructions to me for the accounts that I'm managing. And the attorney will take care of the, you know, like the real property or maybe any business interests. But you got to get that fuel inside of the trust. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, it does make a lot of sense. Uh, But you start to see as we go through these mistakes they start to pile up a little bit, and the nuances start to become, you know, it goes from as simple as check your beneficiary designations to a little bit more complicated. And it's just all the more reason to have some caution as you're planning for these estate planning issues. Yeah, so it's it's a little bit like a minefield, but if you have the right guide, they can certainly guide you through the minefield. So I'm, my purpose is not to alarm or scare you. It's just to say, hey, there's these issues out here, and like everything else in life, take a little bit of time and get your ducks in a row, and it's just going to become much more cost efficient. And actually, it's an, another gift you're giving to your to your surviving spouse and your children if you take and put all these things in order for them. It's something one less thing they're going to have to worry about. So in addition to the beneficiary designations, in addition to looking how assets are, the ownership of those assets, how they're titled, making sure you fund your revocable living trusts, you also have to coordinate, you know, your trusts, your estate plan with your retirement plans, because a lot of people designate their living trusts or other trusts, you know, as beneficiaries of their retirement accounts. And I'm saying that you got to be really careful with that. And there could be some really good 
reasons why you might want to name a trust as an IRA or other retirement plan beneficiary. But there's also lots of potential problems, lots of IRS regulations, naming the wrong kind of trust as an IRA beneficiary, you know, can it accelerate taxes, maybe all of that deferred gain on a retirement account can suddenly become due. I just was working on one recently, uh, doing some uh, trust uh, Medicaid funding for a client. And I was very careful that I got explicit instructions from the attorney who had drafted the trusts and made sure that the exact wording that um, was needed was used on the transfer forms in order to assure that we would not have any tax ramifications. So just make sure, you know, when you're funding the trust that you understand you just can't put everything in it. It's like your car. What happens if you go to the you go and you put the wrong fuel in the car? What happens to the engine? It it's sputters and, and gets messed up. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, I'm always, I'm glad that, you know, like, I don't know if you've ever done this. You're not paying attention and you pull the diesel, you know, uh, the diesel nozzle off and like, thank goodness it won't fit, right? <laughs> it's like a little, like, uh, it's like dummy, dummy proof for people like me. It's like, hey, this nozzle doesn't fit. Oh my gosh, it's the diesel nozzle. <laughs> a, f- a friend of mine once filled his car up with kerosene. Uh, oh no. It, it was some, I guess, some special gas station where that had kerosene pumps. Apparently that's a thing. Yeah, I've seen them. I've seen them. Um, and he was not paying attention. He was listening to, ironically, a podcast and <laughs> was distracted. And he had ear he, – this is the first mistake. He was driving with the earbuds in. So he's yeah, listening to the yeah. podcast as he's driving but through earbuds, not through the car. So it's still playing when he gets out of the car. He's engrossed in the podcast, and he fills his car up with kerosene. He goes about two miles down the road, and it dies and cost thousands of dollars to have it all pumped out of there, and it was a big issue, and we will also never let him live it down either. <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, I guess I have some compassion empathy for you because I have pulled out the diesel, uh, and thank goodness the diesel doesn't fit in, in my car, so I was, I was able to stop you know, something that could have been much worse. You know, um, another issue that I see actually – uh, this actually happened in my own family, uh, my wife's family. My, uh, her parents had retired uh, to Tennessee, and they had done all the right steps. You know, they'd taken all the right steps. They, you know, executed trust and powers of attorney and health care power and living wills. And then after my father-in-law passed away and my mother-in-law had some um, health issues, she moved up here uh, to be close to us, you know, in, in Ohio. And so they had they had all these, like, really beautifully well-done Tennessee documents. But now we're in Ohio. And there wasn't sufficient time really to do anything. She uh, she had a stroke. And so suddenly now my wife and her daughters are trying to navigate this with documents that really don't comport to Ohio law. They were drafted under Tennessee law. I mean, was it workable? Were they able to work with them? Yes, but it was much more complicated. You know, so, you know, if you've moved, make sure you update your documents when I used to have an office in Cincinnati, I would see it all the time. People lived in Kentucky, but they had an Ohio lawyer draft them, and they're driving back and forth. They're working in one state and living in the other. So, you know, you have to be careful of what the impact is going to be because those documents are still legal in Ohio, but they're going to be interpreted under Ohio law. And it's kind of shocking how just a few states uh, south of us can interpret the same language one way that we interpret it a different way. So make sure that that your powers of attorney and all of your other estate planning documents are updated, especially if you've moved. So that's my sixth, I think, uh, 
mistake that I see. And then I guess I'm going to say a seventh mistake. And it's basically thinking that you've executed an estate plan, perhaps right before you're re, uh, retired, or sometimes maybe you've had your first child and you've executed a estate plan, but you've not updated the entire plan because they could become obsolete for many, many reasons. I mean, first of all, there's been significant changes in both the uh, income tax laws that pertains to qualified plans as well as the estate planning tax law. But there are you know, other things. There's major changes in, in your family. There's you know, births and deaths, divorces and marriages, changes in, in residence from one state to the other. And I think anytime you have a significant life-changing event, I think it's time to think, hey, do I need to make any changes to my estate plan? Because of course, you know, a change in your goals or in the law also means that you've got to take the time and the energy and pay the little bit of extra money to make sure that your plan is in order. So you do, if you do all those things, they're not as hard as I, as I made them sound. I'm trying to encourage you to do them, not to discourage you. I think planning is always better than not planning. But if you've taken the time to plan, make sure that your plan is going to work efficiently and it's going to actually help you reach your family's goals. Always super important to do those things. And if you would like to get in touch with Dan to talk a little bit about your own financial plan, some of the estate planning mistakes that you maybe have heard today that you've made or that you might be in danger of making in the future and you want to make sure that you avoid these things, navigate around those pitfalls and you need a guide to help you through all these things, Dan can certainly do that for you. Call him at 614-472-4510. Again, that's 614-472-4510. And always online at BetzelWealthAdvisors.com. Again, that's BetzelWealthAdvisors.com. Dan, thanks as always for the guidance today, and we'll look forward to talking to you on the next podcast. Thank you so much, Walter. That's Dan, and I'm Walter. Thanks so much for tuning in. Talk to you next time on Plan with Dan. Fee-based financial planning and investment advisory services are offered by Betzel Wealth Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor in the state of Ohio.